couple passages of Scripture. Uh, first, James chapter number 4. James chapter number 4. And also, if you would turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. James chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Today is a special day for us as a church family. It's special because we get to come and worship the Lord. But also, every two months or so, we take some time come to the Lord's table. Paul wrote of this event in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. He gave a warning to the church. He told the church how to come, what to, to do, and some things he said he'll place in order once he arrives back at the church at Corinth there. But he gave enough here in chapter number 11 for us to know that we were to, to observe the Lord's table, communion, we're to have at it a place where we remember the body that was uh, bruised and the, the uh, beaten, the blood that was shed. And Paul gave a warning. He said to the church in verse number 28 of chapter number 11, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of, this of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Paul is writing this book to the church. These are saved individuals. These are people that have come to the place in their life where they have realized that they were a sinner in need of a Savior. They've put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They have realized this, that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And Paul is speaking to this church, the church at Corinth. He's setting some things in order. He is letting them know that this is a time for them to remember what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. They went to the grave that he rose again. And he gave this to the church to observe. But with this, he gave also a warning. He said this, that we're to examine ourselves. We're not to come to this table with sin. But we're to examine ourselves and judge ourselves. Lest God has to judge or chasten us. And today we're going to come to this table, and each time we come, this is a sober time for our church and a sober time for us to just, number one, remember what Jesus Christ has done for us, and also to be sure that our hearts are right. And so I want you to go to James chapter number four, if you would, please. You can hold your place. We'll come back before we come to the table here this morning. We'll come back to 1 Corinthians. I was thinking this past week, just the other day, about the times in the Bible that Jesus, Jesus wept. Jesus looked down at Jerusalem. He wept. As I read through that, and I know there's several places where we find that Jesus was weeping or Jesus looked out on the crowd and his heart was grieved. He saw them. And I asked the Lord what would cause him to weep such, in such a way. I believe that we find that the people are trying to make atonement for their sins. The people are trying to live life on their own, and they're trying to live life in such a way, a religious way. Jesus looks out and he realizes this. They're trying to live this life in a religious way, and that religion doesn't save a person. You've got the Pharisees that are trying to put laws upon the people, and if you live a certain way, you'd find favor with God. But the reality is this. 
the only way to find favor with God, the only way that a person can be born again is by putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. There is no other way. And so we find in this world today, we find so many different religions. I've had the opportunity to travel many different countries and see many different religions. And it seems like in most all other religions, it seems like man has to earn his way to find favor with God. Has to do more good than bad and hoping that his good outweighs his bad. And if his good outweighs his bad, then maybe God will find, he'll find favor with God. And they live their life trying to find peace. They say in India there's some 300 million gods trying to appease a God, not wanting to make any one God upset. But in Christianity, we believe that there's one God. We believe that there's a God that sent his son, Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God. He came to this earth. He lived a sinless, perfect life. He went to the cross. He shed his blood upon the cross. And that blood that was shed, because he was sinless, because he was perfect, that blood that was shed, it was presented on the mercy seat, and and God accepted that as the payment for our sin. And now all man must do, or all man needs to do, is by faith, trust in the finished work of the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ask for forgiveness of his sin and believe in the work of the cross. Jesus looks out and he weeps. He weeps, I believe, because he sees man trying to find peace, trying to make atonement, through religion, realizing religion won't save a man. Some are making sacrifices, realizing that sacrifices won't work. Some are trying to do good, but only failing. And you can be sincere as sincere could be in any of these areas, but the only way a person can find true peace is through Jesus Christ. We as believers, we come today to this communion table and Paul gives a warning and he says to us to examine our hearts. And today, church, as we're looking at the Word of God, I would ask you to please do this. Do as Paul warned, as he exhorted us to do. Examine our hearts. Are you right with God? Are you living for God? Is there anything at all between you and God? Is there anything at all? Examine your hearts today. James writes, the book of James, and this is a general epistle. He writes not necessarily to a specific church or a specific person. You would find that Paul's epistle, Paul writes to a church, the church at Corinth and other churches, or Paul writes to a specific person. He's written to Timothy. He's written to Titus. These are specific epistles to a specific church or a person. James is in those general epistles where they're not written to necessarily a specific person or a church. But James is writing to the believer. The book of James is a book that he's writing, and he is not contradicting anything that Paul has said about salvation. James is not saying that you work your way to heaven. James is not saying that if you work and you're, you're, you, you satisfy your sin debt, what James is simply saying that a person, once a person is saved, a person then ought to show the fact that he's saved by how he lives. Come to church, uh, verse number 6 of chapter 4. Verse number 6 is one of my favorite verses. 
Verse number six, James says, but he giveth more grace. Aren't you so glad that God gives more grace? Maybe you're here today and you think this, you just can't make it in this Christian walk. It's too difficult. It's too hard. Or maybe you're at a place right now in your life where you're saying, I just don't know if I could make it another day. The, the, the uh, uh, trials have compassed, uh, compassed you, compassed you and, and the situations of life have, have caused you such grief and you're thinking to yourself, there's no other way that I can make this. I want you to read along with me. Verse number six, the Bible says, but he giveth more grace. No matter what grace, amount of grace you need, God gives you that grace. Look with me, the Bible goes on to say, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and Purify your heart, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. I want you to take special note here to verse number 9, my text verse this morning. The Bible says, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. We live in a nation today, we live in a world today, the, their motto or the way they live is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. There's many that believe there is no God. There's many that believe that God is, doesn't exist, and some believe that if he does, he's not interested in the affairs of mankind. The Bible teaches us something very different. The Bible teaches us that there is a God, there's one God, there's one true God. He's a creator of this universe. He created mankind. The Bible tells us in the beginning he created. He simply spoke with his words and something came into an existence that, that had never been there before. He said, let there be light. And light had never existed. And, and when he said, let there be light, light began. He said, let there be trees. There was never a tree before, but as soon as the Lord said, let there be a tree, a tree came into existence. He created something out of nothing. The Bible says he took the dust in the ground and he formed man. He breathed in the nostrils of man the breath of life. He created you and he created me. He created mankind to fellowship with him. The Bible tells us in the beginning that he would come into this garden. He would walk in the coolness of the day and commune with man or fellowship with man. But there was a day that man sinned. And when that that day happened, that relationship was broke between God and, and uh, uh, mankind, and then there had to be a payment for that sin. And every single person from that point forward that was born into this world, you and I, we were born with a sin nature. We were born separated from God. Jesus came and he gave his life so that we could have life, the Bible says. And we find here, James is saying to us, be afflicted, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. There's a seriousness here that James brings us to. And I believe this, when we come to this table, we ought to come serious. We ought to come sober-minded. We ought to come wanting to be right with the Lord. Remembering what Jesus did upon the cross 
Remember the cruel agony that he went through, the pain that he went through. Remembering this, that every sin that you and I have ever committed was placed upon Jesus that day. He became sin so that you and I could have everlasting life. There's a seriousness to this. So many, so many in this world believe that there is no God. They're living their life in such a way that God does not exist. There's many believe this, that if you were to ask them what happens after life, many believe this, there's nothing that happens after life. You simply live here upon this earth, and when you die, you're placed in the ground, and and you're dead. There's nothing else. The Bible tells us differently. It's not popular anymore. The, 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 The world doesn't like to hear that there's a heaven and a hell. Matter of fact, there's many churches that don't want to preach against sin anymore. There's many churches that don't mention the place called hell anymore. There's many churches that only, only preach of, of heaven and only preach of, of, the, of the grace or of the mercy. They don't preach that there's a place called hell and that sinners that die without Jesus Christ are separated from God forever, for all of eternity. Do you realize this, that as a preacher of the gospel, as a preacher of the gospel, that my calling is to, to, to preach the whole counsel of God. My, 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 my calling is to, to preach the, the gospel, preach that Jesus Christ came, not just to preach to itchy ears, but to preach the whole counsel of God, that there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is destruction. The Bible says that narrow is the way that leads to life, but broad is the way that leads to destruction. There's many on that broad path. And by not preaching the Bible isn't helping. I I, I believe that we as Christians, myself as a preacher of the gospel, must stand there and preach the truth so that that men and women and boys and girls know the truth. day, each second, there are those that are passing into eternity, walking out in eternity, walking out into either heaven or hell. The Bible doesn't speak of a place in between. The Bible only says of two places. If a person dies without Jesus Christ, a person dies and forever, they're, they're forever, ever, ever separated from God. A person dies in Christ. They're forever reunited with God. There's a serious situation here. We as Christians, we must see. Must see. Verse number nine tells us the seriousness of this. James has challenged us with the fact of once we are saved, the natural thing for us now that we're saved is that we are to show our salvation by how we live. Once a person trusts Christ as their Savior, they're a new creature. Their desires ought to be different. Before a person saved, they're in bondage to sin. They're slaves to sin. 
They're born with this sin nature, and the reality is this. They don't know anything other than to sin. They're satisfied with that. They're, they're, they're feeding their lust. They're flee, fee, uh, feeding their flesh, and that's what a, a person without Christ does. That's how they live. But once a person is saved, once a person trusts Christ as their Savior, that frees them from the bondage of sin. And what we learn and what James is trying to get the Christian to understand is this. You no longer should live and need to live under that bondage of sin because you've been set free because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. There's a difference. There's a difference a way Christians should act and behave than from a lost person how they should act and behave. There's a difference for a Christian the way that they live versus a lost person in how they live. There's a difference how a person responds to how a lost person responds. And all of that is different because of salvation. Inside of us as a Christian, there's a Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, that guides us and directs us, that encourages us, that convicts us. And in chapter number four, here in James, he tells us how we ought to live with each other and how we ought to live as Christians. He speaks, he speaks of lust, and we don't have the time to read through this entire chapter here, but James speaks of lust and how it, it eats away at us, causing us to sin. Every single person here in this room, there's something that you're attracted to. There's something that your flesh wants. And the reality is this, it's not all the same for everybody. But there's something that your flesh desires. There's something that your flesh lusts after and causing us to want what we can't have. There's something that your flesh causes you to desire what's not yours. There's something that your flesh, it causes you to be unsatisfied with what you have in thinking that you need more. It's the lust of your flesh. And James warns us of this lust. Matter of fact, if you'll just flip over a page or so in the book of James here in chapter number one, James tells us that every man is tempted when he is drawn away from his own lust in verse 14. He says, every man, every single person, you put your name there, you and I, we are drawn away. There's something that just wants to hold on to us. There's something that our flesh desires. And every one of us is tempted when we're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. The Bible goes on to say, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. In sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. Lust always leads to sin. When you feed that lust, it always leads to sin. And sin always leads to death. Always. James gives this warning. He gives this warning to the believer. If you're saved here today, then James He's giving this warning to you. He's saying to you, there's something that your flesh wants. Matter of fact, there's something that your flesh will do anything for. There's something that your flesh craves. But he warns us where that takes us. When our lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and nothing good comes out of lust. When a Christian feeds their lust, nothing profitable comes from that. Nothing good. That thing inside of you that wants to control you, 
It wants to control you so that you're not under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. And the Christian ought to strive, ought to desire, ought to want to be under the control of the Spirit of God, but you cannot be under the control of the Spirit of God when your lust is controlling you. And your lust will take you every way opposite from where the Lord wants you to be. Because when the lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Nothing, nothing good comes out of our lust. Where lust is conceived, the Bible says it bringeth forth sin. I like that old saying, sin has cost you. Costs you more than you want to pay. Sin takes you farther than you want to go. And sin keeps you longer than you want to stay. There's nothing profitable about sin in a Christian's life. Matter of fact, that sin breaks the relationship that God wants to have with you. That sin breaks the relationship that God wants to have with his children. James is writing this, and Paul, Paul says to the church at Corinth, there's a time that we come together. We come together as a church for a reason. We do this so that we can examine ourselves, so that we can remember what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. And every single person here today, in their mind, you ought to remember what Jesus did for you. He paid your sin debt. You and I do not have to suffer for, for uh, damnation in hell for all of eternity because Jesus Christ paid your sin debt and paid my sin debt. We ought to be thankful for that. We ought to praise him for that. Paul said when you come to this table, come to this table to remember what he's done for you. But in remembering it, make sure, make sure you examine your heart. Make sure there's nothing between you and God. Make sure that you're being led by the Holy Spirit of God, not by your lust of your flesh. Make sure your life counts for the gospel's sake. Now that you're saved, you're not here upon this earth to eat, to drink, to be merry, to experience the, the, the uh, uh, material things of this earth. You are an ambassador for Christ. You're here now upon this earth to live a life pleasing the Lord, yielded by His Spirit, telling others the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they should see the evidence of your salvation and how you live and how you obey and how you live life. My question today then, church, is how are we doing? Examine your heart. How are you living? James is warning us. There's a serious situation I loved, I loved to laugh, I loved jokes, I loved to play around. I loved to have a good time. But you know what bothers me? Someone that can never be serious. I think fun is good. But if you take fun to the extreme, it's unprofitable. I think life ought to be enjoyable. I spent yesterday with our girls and just had a good time spending time with our girls and enjoying them and, and, and just, just laughing and, and being silly with them. But you know, there comes a time where you have to be serious. The world would have you just to live life. Go after the thrills and go after your flesh and whatever you want, have it your way. Live life the way you want it lived. 
Enjoy the pleasures of your flesh. Eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow there's nothing we die. God's word is so different. God's word tells us the truth. There is a time for us to be sober-minded. There is a time for us to be serious. There is a time for us to examine our hearts and be sure that we are where God desires for us to be. I've heard this said before. You are as close to God as you choose to be. If you're not right with God today, it's not that God doesn't want to be right, you to be right with him. If you're not right with God today, it's because you choose not to be right with God. It's because you've chosen the pleasures of this world instead of the relationship that God desires to have with you. I'm not suggesting, I'm not saying that you've lost your salvation. I believe the Bible is very clear that once you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're sealed unto the day of redemption. But once, once you are saved, now you can begin to live a life that's not pleasing the Lord. And that's what James is, is warning us of. He says this in verse number 7, I want you to submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I want you to mark in your passive scripture as we come to this table, as we focus our hearts and we examine our hearts, we examine our lives. My question to you is, is this, are you submitted to God? You say, what do you mean by that? Does God have his way with your life? Is there any part of your life that you're holding back? Is there any part of your life that you say, God, you can't have this desire, this lust, this part of my life? No, here James says it is good that every Christian submit themselves, therefore, to God. Let God have his way. Submission is total surrender. Is there any part of your life that if God wanted it, you'd resist and hold on? Is there any part of your life right now, Christian, that you're holding on to that God says, I want, and you're saying, no, I've worked too hard for this, or no, it feels too good, or no, I just don't think I can live without this. I want you to know that you can live with the grace of God. You can live by the mercy of God. You don't have to hold on to sinful things. You don't have to hold on to worldly pleasures. You don't have to hold on to, to lustful thoughts and lustful desires and lustful actions. You can have have great joy in submitting to the Holy Spirit of God in your life. And that's where a Christian ought to desire to live. That's where a Christian ought to want to be. That's where every husband ought to want to live. That's where every wife ought to want to live. That's where every child ought to want to live. That's where every parent ought to want to live. The reason we have so many problems in society, the reason we have so many problems in our homes, the reason we have so many problems in our nation is because we're living not in submission to God. We're living saying, God, I know what's best for me. Listen, how foolish is it to think that we know better than the God that created this universe? How foolish is it to think that we can coordinate and plan and maneuver and make decisions for our life absent from what God wants for us and find peace? The reality is this. 
And we hear that this cry of peace is going to happen, especially in the end times. Mankind is looking for peace. They're trying to find peace. They think they can get it through negotiating themselves. They think they can get it from securing themselves. They think they can get it from fulfilling their own desires and their own lusts. And they think by doing those things that peace will come. But peace will never come outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, peace won't come for you unless you're fully submitted to him. He said, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Look, look with me in verse number six. He says, wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You know what that means, resisteth? He keeps at arm's length. He resists him. The proud. The proud man says that I can live my life without God. The proud man says, I can make decisions opposite from God's word and be happy and be successful. I can live my life as a husband. I can live my wife as a, a wife. I can live my life as a parent. And I don't have to obey the teachings of God, the promises of God, the word of God. I can live my life however I choose to live my life. And I can make good decisions. That's a proud man. God says he resists the proud. Oh, why would a child of God, why would a child of God want to live without the blessings of God? Listen, I'm not preaching prosperity gospel. Matter of fact, I believe that prosperity gospel is, is, is unbiblical. I believe it's wrong. That, that, that prosperity gospel, if you get saved, God's going God's to reward you with great riches. There's a church that they said, if you join our church, come to our church and join our church, you will prosper financially. And they put that out. They try to get people to come. Listen, money and the gospel have nothing to do with each other. If you're just wanting to get saved so that you can get money, it's not true salvation. Salvation is you humbling yourself. Salvation is you realizing that you're a sinner, you realizing there's nothing in this world that you can do to merit favor with God. Humbling yourself before God and saying, Jesus, you're the way, truth, and life. And we humble ourselves for salvation, then why, then why, Christian, would we pick back up that mantle of pride and try to wear that mantle of pride after we've trusted Christ as our Savior? If we've humbled ourselves for salvation, then why would we want to live our life after salvation in a prideful way, thinking that we know what's best? It's pride that caused man to get into this situation to begin with. The Bible says God resists the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. I want to live under God's grace, don't you? Submission, submitting to the Lord. That means this, Lord, whatever you have for my life, I refuse to fight back. 
is God trying to guide you and direct you and you're fighting him? Is the Holy Spirit of God convicting you of something in your life, something your flesh wants to control, and you're fighting him? Paul says, come to this table, examine your life. If there's anything between you and God, confess it, get it out of the way, and remember what Jesus Christ did for you upon the cross. Submission is I refuse to desire my flesh. Our flesh is so strong, isn't it? So strong. It shows us how weak we really are. Because when our flesh wants something, we can't say no. It's too difficult, it's too hard, and you know what it is for you. It's not the same for each of us, it's something different. We, wanna, we want to say that we're so strong, we want to believe that we have it all together, but every time your flesh says, I want something, you can't resist it, it's too difficult because you're not surrendered or submitted to God. He says, submit yourselves. You know what that means? Refuse to let your flesh lead you. Refuse to let your flesh control you. Our girls, they love bike riding. They absolutely love bike riding. But there's a few things that they don't like about bike riding. Number one is they don't like to wear helmets. Number two, they like to go bike riding just either in flip-flops or something like that. And, and so you feel, as a parent, you feel like you're always, you know, they want to go have fun, and you're always, all right, put the helmet on. Make sure you wear shoes and socks. Why? Just trust me. Just trust me. Wear a helmet. Why? I, I've been riding bikes for like six months now. I'm good at this. Just trust me. Our youngest went on a bike ride, went around the circle with her sister and a couple of the neighbor girls, and next thing I know, I heard someone crying. Lily came up to me and said, Dad, Chloe crashed. So was she wearing her helmet? Yeah. Was she wearing her shoes and socks? Yeah. I went to her and I said, aren't you glad you wore your helmet? Weren't you glad that you had the things on, you did what was needed to be done? Aren't you glad that dad knew what he was talking about? Maybe a little bit skinned up, but it could have been much worse. You know, I try to tell my kids, you know, sometimes dad does know what he's talking about. And why does dad do this? Do I want him to wear that helmet because I hate him? Do I want him to listen to me because I don't love him? No, I don't want to see him in pain. No, I don't want to see him struggling through and wounding themselves. So what I ask is the same thing that God asks us, is what I ask and you ask your children. Obedience. Submission. Because when a child of God submits to the leadership of God in his life and yields to the Holy Spirit working in their life, then and only then can a child of God experience true joy. Submit yourself. As you come to this table today, is there anything
that you're choosing. That means this, God, you choose my path. That means this, God, you choose the scenery on my path. That means this, God, you choose my destination, and I'll simply be yielded to your plan. Are you there? Paul said, I die daily. Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. I'm afraid some of us sing that invitation song, I surrender all. We, we, we know the words and we sing the words, but we don't really live that song. My warning to us today as we come to this table, are you submitted to God? Examine your life. Examine. Right now in your life, say, God, is there anything? Is there anything that my pride is resisting? Is there anything that my flesh is desiring? Is there anything that I'm putting above my relationship with you? Paul said, examine your life. Be sure there's nothing between you and God. Be sure that you're living a life. Don't come to this table living in sin. Now, some may think this. Well, I'm going to choose my flesh, and so therefore I'm not going to eat at this table. The Bible says, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. You know what that means? Get right with God. When we come to this table, we don't have an option. It doesn't say, if you're not right with God, let the cup pass from you. He says, examine yourself and then eat. Examine yourself and then drink. Remembering what Jesus did for you. Christian, don't hold on to your sin. Don't let your flesh control you. Examine your heart. Don't let there be anything between you and God.